Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am your host, Therese Cerise, and I will be reading from my book of poetry entitled A Strong Will Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. Thank you. Your applause is greatly appreciated. So today's poem is entitled, It's My Time. It's been a long time coming. Now my change is on its way. I will not be defeated. My faith will not be swayed. It took a while for me to see the one who has always been for me. He is my Lord, my Savior, and my father too. He did what he said he would do. He didn't leave me or forsake me. He is my refuge and my fortress. In my times of need, he sees my heartbreaks. Correction. In my time in my times of need, he sees my heartaches and my heartbreaks. He has opened up my eyes to his promises and purpose for my life. He has made me realize that I am more than a conqueror and the victory has been and always will be mine. It is my time to shine. So I hope that you all have had the most amazing evening, morning, afternoon, whenever it is that you hear this episode. So, For those of you that are aware, we have been going through what I call the single series. So we're going to continue on with the single series during this episode. What I also wanted to point out is that today is my only grandson, my only grandchild at this time, Amar. Today is his second birthday. So he turned two today. Please bear with me. I'm not used to being on camera when I'm doing these recordings. So I'm trying to make sure everything looks decent. So I've kind of been pushed into this as when I got ready to record, the only option that was available to me was to try a new platform. So this should be very interesting. For those of you who have never known what I look like, who I am, the face behind the voice. Ta-da! <laughs> Here I am. I am Teresa Reese. Okay, so we're going to continue the single series. And please forgive me because I will be looking down quite a bit as I'm getting adjusted. This is another reason why I'm, I'm not used to being on camera is because when I'm on camera, y'all don't see all the things that are taking place behind the scenes, like me having to adjust my headphones my earplugs, all of that, you really just hear what's going on. So this is going to be an adjustment for me. Please bear with me. Eventually, I will get more comfortable, but that day most likely won't be today. So just so you know. (laughs) So again, we're reading, I'm reading out of Nehemiah chapter one. And for those of you that are unaware, although this is not a Christian podcast, 
I love reading the Bible. And so a lot of my episodes are based off of scriptures that I am sharing as I'm on this journey, waiting for my true husband to manifest in my life. And as I'm going through this journey, I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can through the nuances of failed relationships, past relationships, current relationships, all of the above. And let me not say plural because I'm only in one committed relationship, but hopefully you get the point. So what I'm trying to do is make sure that I am very transparent so that those of you who also have a desire to remarry or to marry someday, here on here, we are considered raw, which is real and wise. And because I know that I personally have not made a whole lot of wise decisions, that is also another reason why I try to be as transparent. So hopefully you can glean from the mistakes that I've made, even some of the great decisions that I've made, and then you can do something that will help you reach your own personal goals. So that's something about me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. If you wanted to know my why, that is my why. Okay. So again, I'm going to be reading out of the book of Nehemiah. It's spelled N like Nancy, E, H like Harry, E, M like Michael, I, A, and then H like Harry. Chapter one, and I'm going to be reading chapter two as well. So on here, I believe that these recordings are still timed. So I'm going to try to be consciously aware of the timing and then go from there. Now, y'all are going to hear most likely some bloopers. You're probably going to see some bloopers. If you wanted to be entertained, I'm your girl. <laughs> so here we go. And I'm trying something new. So it's just a whole lot of newness going on right now. So please bear with me. Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter one. Let me start there. And this will be out of the Message Bible. Here we go. The memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It was the month of Kislev in the 20th year. At the time, okay, so. This is what we're going to do because he's literally speaking in first person. So what I'm going to do is back up to allow him to speak in first person. Here we go. And y'all are going to, okay, it is what it is. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It was the month of Kislev in the 20th year, at the time I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me, the exiles of the believers who are left there 
in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinder. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me. Listen to me. Pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And I'm including myself, I and my ancestors, among those who have sinned against you. We've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us, haven't followed your commands, and haven't respected the decisions you gave to Moses, your servant. All the same, remember the warning you posted to your servant, Moses? If you betray me, I'll scatter you to the four winds. But if you come back to me and do what I tell you, I'll gather up all these scattered peoples from wherever they end up and put them back in the place I chose to mark with my name. Well, there they are, your servants, your people whom you so powerfully and impressively redeemed. Oh, Master, listen to me. Listen to your servant's prayer, and yes, to all your servants who delight in honoring you and make me successful today so that I get what I want from the king. I was cupbearer to the king. It was the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, at the hour for serving wine, I brought it in and gave it to the king. I had never had hanged dog in his presence. I had never been hanged dog in his presence before. So he asked me, You're not sick, are you? Or are you depressed? 
that made me all the more agitated. I said, long live the king, and why shouldn't I be depressed when the city, the city where all my family is buried, is in ruins, and the city gates have been reduced to cinders. The king then asked me, praying under my breath to the God of heaven, I said, if it please the king, and if the king thinks well of me, Send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. The king, with the queen sitting alongside him, said, How will your work take, and when would you expect to return? I gave him a time and the king gave his approval to send me. Then I said, if it please the king, provide me with letters to the governors across the Euphrates that authorize my travel through to Judah and also an order to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, to supply me and a to supply me with timber for the beams of the temple fortress, the wall of the city, and the house where I'll be living. The generous hand of God, the generous hand of my God was with me in this, and the king gave them to me. When I met the governors across the river, the Euphrates, I showed them the king's letters. The king even sent along a cavalry escort. When Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, officially heard about this. Let me say this again. When the Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very upset, angry that anyone who would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. And so I arrived in Jerusalem. After I had been there three days, I got up in the middle of the night. I and a few men who were with me, I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal with us was the one I was riding. Under cover of night, I went past the valley gate toward the dragon's fountain to the dung gate looking over the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken through and whose gates had been burned up. I then crossed 
to the fountain gate and headed for the king's pool. But there wasn't enough room for the donkey I was riding to get through. So I went up the valley in the dark, continuing my inspection of the wall. I came back in through the valley gate. The local officials had no idea where I'd gone or what I was doing. I hadn't breathed a word to the Jews, priests, nobles, local officials, or anyone else who would be working on the job. Then I gave them my report. Face it, we're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. They said, we're with you. Let's get started. They rolled up their sleeves, ready for the work. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gisham, the Arab heard about it? They laughed at us. I shot back. The God of heaven will make sure we succeed. We're his servants, and we're going to work rebuilding. You can stick to your own business. You get no say in this. Jerusalem's none of your business. So, so I added all of the so part was me. It had nothing to do with Nehemiah. So, Let's try to unpack this, shall we? So Nehemiah was single. Nehemiah's family had been buried in, I believe, Judah. But he wanted to build the wall of Jerusalem back up. So um, when the king asked him, what was wrong with him, asked him if he was sick, if he was depressed, like what was going on. And he was saying as a cupbearer, he had never been that close to the king. But I'm paraphrasing. He couldn't hide his emotions. He couldn't hide how he was feeling on the inside. And the king picked that up. And so when he told him, he said, um, he was really praying to God. But he was praying to God under his breath in such a way that the king and the queen heard him. So I'm imagining, imagine with me, if you will, that Nehemiah, being in his feelings, was like, you can't solve my problem. 
but I know that God can. And right now, I'm bothered by even telling you how I'm feeling because I really know that the only way that anything can get done is if God touches your heart for it to get done. So he says under his breath that if it's pleasing to the king and if the king has good thoughts toward him, for the king to go ahead and send him away to Judah. He said, the city where my family is buried. That way he could start rebuilding that city. And so with the queen sitting alongside him, the king, he was like, how long is it going to take you? When do you expect to come back? When do you expect to return? And so Nehemiah gives him the time frame. He doesn't tell us the time frame, but he gives the king the time frame. And he literally, as the king agrees and approves his request, Nehemiah pushes a little bit further and says, you know, I'm going to need some letters. So that way, if I'm stopped along this journey or even while I'm going through this process, I can produce proof that I have your support in this endeavor. And so God was all for what Nehemiah was trying to do, so much to the point that he touched the heart of the king and the king honored his request. Then on top of him honoring the request, what he ended up doing was sending along a cavalry escort. So he didn't just approve Nehemiah's request to go back to his home where his family was buried in Judah to build the wall of Jerusalem. He didn't just honor that request. He took it a step further. He honored writing the letters that Nehemiah said that he would need. Then on top of that, he sent a cavalry escort. So he sent protection for Nehemiah also. And so there were a few officials. One was Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. Once they heard what was going on, they were angry. Because in their minds, how is someone coming in the interest of the people of Israel to help. So that tells me that rumors travel fast. And even if you have good intentions, that there's always gonna be somebody that is gonna have something negative to say or feel about your good intentions. And so once he arrived in Jerusalem, he stayed for about three days, got settled in, waited for the a lot of people to be asleep, got up in the middle of the night, and then he took a few men with him, and he made it a point not to share with anyone, not even the men that were with him, what God had laid on his heart to do for Jerusalem. So there was a deeper revelation that God had given Nehemiah 
Nehemiah said just enough for the king to honor his request. But there was another conversation internally that he had had with God. And with that conversation, he decided, I'm not going to divulge any information at all. I'm going to do what thus said God. I'm not telling anybody. So he had a donkey. That was the only animal that they had with them. So that tells me that even when they left from where he was, where the king was, they, aside from him, everyone that went with him, including the um, cavalry, they were on foot. So at nighttime, he went and he just, he passed Valley Gate. He passed um, toward the Dragon's Fountain, Dungate. And he, what he was doing was just kind of glazing over the walls, looking at the walls to kind of see what needs to be repaired, what, what really needs to be done. And when he got to a certain place, what he noticed was is that they were broken. They were, some parts were burned up. And then, so he crossed to the fountain gate and headed for the king's pool, but the donkey couldn't fit. So he had to do the rest of his journey on foot. So he went up to the valley in the dark, continuing his inspection of the wall. He came back in through the valley gate and the local officials didn't know what he was doing, where he had gone. And he said, I, I didn't breathe a word. I didn't say nothing to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials. I didn't say nothing to nobody. I didn't even tell the people who were going to be working on the job the extent of what I had in mind. So when he came back, he gave them his report. And he said, face it, y'all, we're in bad shape. Jerusalem is a wreck. The gates are all burned up but let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. So he told them at that point how God and the king was backing him up. So the people that were with him were like, okay, we got your back. Let's go ahead and get started. They rolled up their sleeves. And they were like, let's, let's get in the fight. But it went from Tobiah and Sambalot to now Gisham, the Arab. When they heard about this, these are all officials. When they heard about this, they started mocking and laughing at him. What do you think you're doing? Do you really think that you could cross the king? And so... They didn't know that Nehemiah had already gotten the king's backing. So he told them, not only do I have God's backing and I'm going to succeed, we're going to succeed in this thing. So even if you're not on board, even if you don't stand behind the reason why we're doing this for the people of Israel, you keep that same energy. 
because this is going to get done. I've already gotten the official stamp of approval from God. <laughs> and then to back that up, the king. So yeah, you don't get to, even your words in mocking me, laughing at me, thinking it won't get done, those words hold no weight here. You can keep that. That's your business. None of ours. And Jerusalem is none of yours. So in his journey of singleness, he was about his father's business. And even when he was in the presence of excellence, he knew who was greater. So even when the king was speaking to him directly, he was speaking to God directly for further instructions. He was laying his burdens down to God because I believe in my imagination that he was like, you're mere mortal man. What I need to get done how much it's going to cost to get it done, what all is required to make it happen. If God don't approve it, it will not get done. But the moment Nehemiah got God's approval, it didn't matter who laughed at him. It didn't matter who mocked him. He was able to stand boldly in front of them and tell them pretty much, y'all can laugh all you want. But let me tell you this, so you'll know, you'll know when it happens that God gave me his seal of approval and the king backed that up. We're going to succeed. We don't need your buy-in. I don't need you to believe that we're going to succeed. We don't need to believe that, that we don't need you to co-sign for what God has already approved. That's powerful. They did not need the officials' approval because they had already officially gotten the greatest approval ever, which was God's approval. And then to add on to that, the king's approval. And then to add on to that, support, cavalry, protection, and the manpower to make that vision come to pass. Sometimes we are trying to do things and go at it alone. When all it really takes, this is my personal opinion, is to have a right conversation, a right relationship with God. And when you cast your cares on him, and when you tell him, this is what I need, and this is why I need it. And then wait for him to tell you, yes. Then once you get his stamp of approval, you get him to confirm I am for you. It truly is more than the whole world against you. And so even when people start to laugh in your face, cackle behind your back, mock you for what it is that you rightfully know is owed to you or do you that's their business has nothing to do with you they are showing you their heart see it 
but continue to trust God. That's what Nehemiah did. In his singleness, he made his business about God's business and he was a cupbearer. So in my mind, my imagination, that's not like at the highest of the hierarchy. That's like kind of at the lowest point. His title didn't matter. God elevated him like he was king and gave him favor like he was king, even as a cupbearer. How about that? So this is going to conclude my episode on today. I hope that you all have the most amazing evening, morning, afternoon, whenever it is that you hear this episode. But please, please, please do me a huge favor and take care of yourself because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl, Teresa. Y'all have a blessed one. Bye. And thank you so much for listening and watching. <laughs> Bye, y'all.